Hey, y'all, thanks for tuning in to the Weird One Podcast. This space, it's a collection of talks ranging anywhere from sermons from our ministry, creative thoughts, breakout sessions at things like Weird One Conference, as well as some inside scoops on leadership. We hope it helps you. If you want to keep up to date with everything Weird One, you can go to weirdoneyouth.com or follow us on social at WAO Youth. We hope you're blessed. Volume 5 of Keep Us Dangerous in the year of our Lord, the year 2023. And uh, Volume 5, which only makes sense then, we're going to go to Chapter 5. And I did not plan on preaching this. I'll talk about why in a second. Um, And we'll unpack it. You ready? I know you're standing. I should have had you seated so you can buckle up, but it's fine. We're standing. It's just a posture of kind of receiving. And Chapter 5, verse 1 of the book of Acts. The Acts of the Apostles is technically what it's called. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. And with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold and after it was sold? Wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Just to understand, this is not metaphorical. He died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. I love the finalization here of the burying because it shows somebody, even though you've seen the apostles do miracles, this person ain't getting a miracle. They dead. We're wrapping them up. We're burying them. They're done. We're going to pack it. About three hours later, I guess Sapphira, she didn't get get the news because the word was spreading and people were seized with fear, but she didn't hear about it yet. So three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband, he's saying only three hours ago, they are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Last verse. Great fear seized the whole church and all who had heard about these offense. I don't know about you, but if we were showing up for church and it was time for the tithes and offering, we call it giving, And it was time for us to give to the Lord, and now people can do it digitally and in so many different ways. But it's time for the giving, and somebody just drops dead in the midst of the giving. I'm going to be a little bit scared about what happened just too. 
Like the person you were just sitting with singing that song, and it's now time for us to get in the preaching and all that, but we just did the giving. You're sitting there, and the person you were just with, they died next to you. I'm going to say great fear is about to seize every part of my body and the whole church too. I don't know about you. I think what really strikes me with this that's really hard for me to teach is this is not the Old Testament. The Old Testament people would die all the time for not following the Lord. If they would lie, if they would sin against, they'd drop dead too all the time. The hand of the Lord would come upon them. They'd die all the time. But we are talking now, Jesus came. He had walked the earth, lived a perfect life, sinless, died then for our sins to forgive our sins. He, three days later, I mean, for Sapphira it was three hours later, but Jesus stayed in the tomb three days later, resurrects, 40 days, he walks the earth then, he ascends into heaven, and the reason I'm confused is it ain't the OT, it's the, it's the NT. And now somebody just died for their sin against the Lord. I think we got to talk about why, because I don't know about you, but there's two things I would like to get in my spirit tonight. Number one, the modern-day church of America, Western civilization, and quite possibly other places in the world that are not right now being persecuted for their faith. We are so lackadaisical that we do not know what it's like to fear the Lord. I'm reading Proverbs right now, and many times throughout Proverbs, it talks about the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? A reverence for the Lord. We respect Him at the highest level. We don't mess with Him. He is God. We are not. We don't have a fear of the Lord, number one. I think number two, I would just say, I would like to not repeat the same steps of Ananias and Sapphira, because if it can happen in the New Testament, if you didn't know where we're at, we're in the New Testament, if you didn't know. We're still the New Testament church. The book's been written, but the story, we're still getting to walk it out. That's why this thing is full of prophecies, and it's full of things that are, we're about to step into that are to come, and Jesus is going to come back for us. I mean, we're a part of this story. I would like to not repeat the same steps of Ananias and Sapphira, anybody else in the room. So I think we should talk about it. You want to pray? I know I do. You ready? Lord Jesus, we love you. And I just put you in your rightful place, King of kings, Lord of lords. You're a king. You're not just my best friend. You're a king. So I fear you because you're a king, and I respect you because you're a king. I honor you because you're a king. And I come to you tonight very humbly, Lord Jesus, and I ask, would you speak to us? Would you speak through me tonight? Let it be your words. Let it be your word. God, let it be your ways that right now permeate the heart of every person, that we would not walk in the ways of Ananias and Sapphira, but we would walk in the ways of Jesus. Teach us how to do that. Holy Spirit, we know that you're the one that teaches us, so would you teach us, Holy Spirit? We love you tonight, and uh, we not only give you the highest praise, Jesus, but we also, we just open up our hearts to you tonight in a very reverent and intimate way, a very vulnerable fashion to say you can get inside of every nook and cranny of us, every dark place, would you expose the marvelous light of who you are, every place that is currently hidden, we want to open up to you tonight and just invite you, Jesus, have your way. Holy Spirit, have your way. Father, it's all about you tonight. We love you, and we give you the highest praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Are you ready? Okay, I feel like maybe you should like shake a couple people next to you, make sure they're alive, because listen, if they dead, 
throughout this message. That ain't my problem. I'm trying to help somebody. I'm trying to help somebody. Okay. Let's get it here. We'll lean in together. Acts chapter 5, if you've got your Bible, it'll be on the screen too. But what I love to do, uh, whether I you know, write, if I can, quick enough, or even digitally, I'll kind of have like the Bible app and then my notes app, and I'll hop over and like copy the verse, put it in there, and then I can write my notes with it. And it's just really nice for later. I like it. I don't commit it to memory as well because I know the hand commits it to memory. I get it. I just like the organized fashion of it all. But hey, I'll tell you this too, just side note quick. Um, not only for us tonight, but people that will watch this later. We continue to release these, these dangerous devotionals online. You can get them at weareoneyouth.com slash dangerous devo, D-E-V-O. And you should watch them. We've been hearing just really great testimonies of people reading them and just, it just rocking their world in a real way. So it's amazing. But I want to get into Acts chapter 5 tonight. So I told you I wasn't going to originally preach this. Let me tell you why. One more shameless plug. I wasn't going to preach it because last year, Pastor Steve preached it. And I mean this with all sincerity. I think it's one of the best sermons I've ever heard preached, one of the best ones he's ever preached, and he literally preached Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, what we just read. So I'm like, should I even preach it? He just did so well at it. Do I even need to? Uh, the message is called Relocalize Culture, and you can get it on our YouTube channel, and you need to go watch it. Um, you need to go watch it. It is just an amazing breakdown of this passage uh, in Acts. But I felt like the Lord told me I had to do this tonight. I did not plan on it. I thought about maybe doing like an extension or something extra we would release. And I felt like the Lord was like, listen, I'm dealing with some things inside of you. And I'm dealing with some things inside of my people. And they need to come face to face with Acts chapter 5 verses 1 to 11. They need to grapple with me with these verses. And they need to look in the mirror, and they need to struggle a little bit to know how they can grow in who I am. Because I don't want them to repeat and follow the pitfalls of Ananias and Sapphira. So I feel like the Lord just gave me fresh revelation, hopefully, to speak to you tonight. Things that he's never taught me before. Things I feel like I've never heard him say before. And uh, this is not an easy passage to preach. I'll tell you, even as I study it, study it uh, I've done a lot of reading this year on the book of Acts, read books and all websites and articles. And you know what chapter and verses nobody really wants to talk about? Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Authors and theologians don't feel like talking about it. They just don't. Like you can't find a ton on it. Do you know why? Because it's difficult to talk about. That's why. How are we trying to unpack the fact here that in the New Testament, somebody just died for their sin? Like, literally, they show up, they're having church, they're in a time of giving, and somebody dies. That's what we're here to discuss. Nobody really wants to talk about it, and so I feel like the Lord told me that I needed to. And so, we're going to kick off, not like I wanted to, wanted to be a little more light, haven't been here in two weeks, a little more fun, some illustrations. Listen, I don't have any illustrations. You know what the illustrations are tonight? It's just me, this microphone, and the B-I-B-L-E's, okay? Like... That's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, B-I-B-L-E. No one? Don't know the Bible? You know it? Okay, good. My man in the front. Okay, we know it. And we're just going to pack it. Volume 5, Acts chapter 5. Specifically, I'll tell you all of volume 5, the author Luke, he um, centralizes here. It's going to be in Acts 5, but all the chapters we're going to hit in volume 5 are going to be centralized 
around the Apostle Peter. And volume five is going to be the last time we're going to talk about the Apostle Peter. He's out of the picture after this. Not because he's died yet, but because volume six, which will be our last one that we'll do here in a bit, um, it's all focused on the Apostle Paul. It's like his missionary journeys, all the stuff happening with him. And so I thought this would be just like a kind of a, a fun way to dive into even looking at the Apostle Peter one more time. We'll get into it. Let me just give you this last thing, and then we'll actually dive into the text. I want to bring clarity to this. Uh, two things really quick I'll break down. Number one, Ananias and Sapphira, just so no one's confused if hopefully you pick up the Bible after this and read it on your own. I'd love that. Um, I'm going through, I'm a crazy person, so I'm going through the book of Acts all over again. I just started doing it again one more time. I thought I'd give it the old weird one college try and just get it. Um, so I'm reading that in Proverbs. But um, Ananias and Sapphira, that Ananias is not the same as the Ananias in Acts chapter 9, just so no one's confused. Um, because this Ananias just died in Acts chapter 5, and the Lord, it, it, we, it just said here, they came in, wrapped him up, buried him. Nowhere it says the Lord resurrected him, so he didn't show up in Acts chapter 9 like, hey, what's up, Paul? Because uh, his name was Saul of Tarsus. He's on the road to Damascus. He wants to kill more Christians. Jesus shows up in a blinding light. He goes blind for three days, wandering around, and the Lord speaks to a man named Ananias and says, go lay your hands on him. Paul's healed. Saul, and he later becomes Paul, and then he's the greatest missionary and man of God outside of Jesus on planet Earth, and we read what he wrote in the New Testament, and we're like, man, I want to be like Paul. I mean, like Jesus, but I want to be like Paul because Paul was like Jesus, and Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So anytime you look at anybody, and you're like, man, I want to be more like them. Do you know what you're saying? It came from Paul. You're saying, I want to be more like them because they want to be more like Jesus. I want to be more like Paul because Paul wanted to be more like Jesus. But we're not here to talk about Paul. Sorry, I'm excited for volume six. Volume 5 tonight, we're going to talk about Pistol Pete and Ananias and Sapphira and the other apostles will be in there and all that stuff. But I just want to clarify, not the same Ananias. Number two, I want to clarify this. The judgment that the Holy Spirit would have Peter bring on Ananias and Sapphira. Can you imagine that? That is the type of leadership that God sets up pastors and people in. That we literally have to act with judgment for his church. Ugh, I hate it. Because I have to make sure I'm hearing him in a way that I'm doing what he's asking me to do. Because if I don't, then I get judged extra later, the Bible says. Double. Just because I go up here and talk every week, I get judged for that because I'm teaching. Double. So when you stand before God, take how bad it's going to be for you and double it for me, the Bible says. I'm judged for every word that comes in my mouth. And the problem is I talk really fast and a lot of words come out of my mouth. So I'm in big trouble. So is it double or is it more? I don't know. We'll talk about that later. Okay, let's talk. Quit taking me off track, bro. We're going to talk about Peter in Acts chapter 5 tonight. This judgment, though, that Peter brings on Ananias and Sapphira, I want to make it clear, if you are understanding this, it said they sold their property. They then brought the money to them. And then he's like, uh, bro, you dead. I want to make sure you understand that he was not judged, and it was a judgment of death because they didn't give him enough. I think people want to paint pictures like that of the modern-day church. It's like, oh, the church, all that they're about is the money. They just want your money. You can give your money at this phone number, and you can give your money through this app, and you can give your money through this. We're just trying to make it easier. To be honest, I, I digitally give. I set it up the beginning of the year, and my bank writes a check to the church every single month. I love it. I'm not, like, counting out my, my dollar bills. I'm not, like, just, like... Because you don't have to convince me to give to Jesus. 
I'm excited to give. So I just prepare to do it at the beginning of the year and it just, it just goes out. And I look at my bank account and I go, well, the money's not there. You know where it is? It's in the house of God doing the work of God. I'm excited about that. But I think some people could try to get on this train and go, oh, were they not given enough money and so that's why they died? Well, that sounds kind of crazy, first of all, to kill somebody because they didn't get enough money to the church. But secondly, no. They weren't killed because they didn't give enough money. It was their money. I want to unpack here what the Bible has to say about this. Because it wasn't because they didn't give enough money, because the way that they were doing things in that time, it was all communal and sharing. Everything was we shared everything we had. We were in a community, and we live, and you want to know more about that, you need to watch that message, Relocalized Culture. Pastor Steve breaks that down a ton. But it was volunteer. It, every, it, it was completely voluntary, anybody that was a part of it. It wasn't like, if you come in, you got to do it. It was like they wanted to do it. Nobody was making them do it. Peter makes this clear in the first half, like the A section of verse 4, chapter 5. He speaks to Ananias. He said, didn't it belong to you? Meaning, didn't your property belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? Meaning, listen, bro, this ain't our money. This is your money. It was your land before you sold it, and it was your money after you sold it. We didn't tell you exactly what you had to do with it. We didn't put some pressure on you. We ain't here to judge what you did with your money. So if they're not judging what they did with their money, because it's their money, they could do what they want with it, then why were they judged? They weren't judged because they didn't give enough money. They were judged because they lied about what they had given. You understand the difference? If you decide to give God one penny, but you call it a quarter, that's the problem. If you give God a penny, then call it what it is. You chose to give God a penny. So the Bible says we give 10% of our income to the Lord. It's called a tithe. That's a principle of the Old Testament. At this time, they were living this principle like, you know what? We're crazy. We're Christians. We're going to live together. We're going to hang out together all the time, every minute of every day. We're going to sell all our stuff, put it in one big pot, and we're going to share. And the apostles were like divvying out based upon everyone's needs. And this is how we're going to do life. That's just what they chose to do, okay? We haven't chosen to do that because we want to still like each other each Wednesday, we come see each other. <laughs> Joking. Mm. Partially. So, 10% is, a, is an Old Testament principle that we still live by because we believe in all of what the Bible has to say. So, if I were to give, I make $10 at a job, and I give $1, but I call it $10, that's the problem. God's only asking for $1. Why would you lie and say that you gave 10 Do you understand? That's exactly what Ananias and Sapphira did. They gave a dollar, but they essentially called it $10. So Peter begins to break this down with judgment that you don't understand how big of a deal it is that you lied. You think you just lied about a, a, a couple pennies or some money you gave? or It isn't about the amount. It's bigger than that. You lied, the B section of verse 4. What did he say specifically? He said that you have not lied just to human beings. Get this, but to God. I think this is really hard for us to grasp because we can't see God. But I need you to understand that it's not just your lips that have the ability to lie to people around you. 
Jesus taught us this principle. He says that the mouth speaks only what the heart is full of. A way we've said it before is out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what am I trying to tell you tonight? Your tongue, your mouth, your lips are not the only thing that have the ability to lie. I think many times we might have put together this picture that, uh, I, remember, I remember times specifically, I'll tell you, it was, uh, it's, I was in sin, I was in a relationship that was walking around sin, I was lying, I was lying like crazy for a week and a half. I lied to anyone and everyone that I came in contact with, literally, because I didn't want to get caught. So I was trying to cover my tracks in every single way that I could. I was 16 years old, I remember coming one, home one night, and I'd been with my girlfriend, and and my dad asked me, like, where you been and all that? I just lied. And luckily, he was facing the TV playing FIFA, and he was, like, half-heartedly asking the question. I'm behind him. I'm like, oh, I was here. The worst thing is those steps going to your room. You ever had this feeling when you know you're in sin and you know you lied? There's something about when you walk, it makes a different sound than the lightness of a clear conscience. It's like... I would have to train my mind. It's not a big deal that my feet are making noise because I felt like every single floorboard that I hit was like, you know, it's like some sinful floorboards. Uh, I felt like every single one that I walked on, they were making noise, and I had to remind myself, it's okay, they always make noise. But what was it? I had just lied. My conscience was no longer clear, so the noise meant something to my soul different. You ever had that feeling? nasty. hate that feeling. I can go back to that, that, that 16-year-old boy right now, and I can feel that feeling again if I wanted to. There's something about recognizing, though, that I wasn't lying just to my dad with my lips. I was lying to my father with my heart. Because far before my lips were lying, my heart had already been lying. You understand? My heart was already full and corroded and corrupt. It was already in a sense and a spirit of lying before it ever left my lips. So before I could ever actually tell my dad the lie, my heart had already been in a place it shouldn't have been with a person it shouldn't have been with, doing things I shouldn't have been doing. And I was already lying before the Lord where I had been. It's like Adam and Eve when, after they had sinned and they're walking in the garden. And the Bible says that the Lord is walking the cool of day. Adam, where are you? And there was already this sense that their heart was hiding because they had already known they had sinned. Far before your lips ever utter a lie to a human being, your heart has already said one to the Lord. And Peter reinforces this thought. He, he, he's speaking to Ananias at this moment, and he wants to teach them, hey, hey, bro, I'm not really here to deal with, necessarily with what you're saying from your mouth, I'm here to deal with your heart. Because after he had sold the property and got the money, he brings it to the apostles. And in verse 3, it says, Then Peter said, Ananias, look at what he fixates on here. How is it that Satan has filled your heart? You notice it, it doesn't say, how has Satan filled your mouth? How has Satan touched your tongue? How has Satan got a hold of your lips that you have lying lips? No, he goes, how is it that Satan has filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? See, 
we lie to God with our hearts. We lie to human beings with our mouths and our lips. And have kept for yourself some of the money you have received for the land. I'm not here to address what comes out of your mouth. Although there are things that come out of your mouths that are awful in the sight of the Lord. There are things that you utter with your lips that are awful in the sight of the Lord. There are people that you get around and you cuss and you're a completely different person and you get on, on, on sports teams or you get in some sort of chat on gaming or whatever it is or you know even like it's the ha ha ha, you laugh through a text or some sort of funny thing that somebody sends you on Instagram or whatever that you know you shouldn't even be laughing at. I, I'm not here to address any of those things that are coming out of you physically. I'm here along with Peter like he did Ananias to address your heart and mind what's happening internally. Because there's things that we're lying about that our lips haven't caught up to yet. They're about to come out of our mouth, but they haven't yet. Because our heart is already in a state of lying about certain things. So Peter begins to address Ananias' heart. And what does it say here? It says that Satan had filled his heart. And you know what really perplexes me about this? Is that Ananias and Sapphira were a part of the New Testament church. You know what that means? The definition of the New Testament church? Jesus set it up. And then he sends his spirit to keep it going. You know what that means? That means that they chose to be filled by Satan rather than be filled with the spirit. How many of you in the room that you've made it more of an effort to almost avoid because it's like weird if I, if I get the fullness of the Spirit, if I take on all that God could have for my life, if I really step into it, that could be a little bit weird. Do you know what's actually worse? I would rather have weird than worse. It's worse that you have kept yourself open and available to be filled by Satan. Because I would much rather be filled by the Spirit than be filled by Satan. So here, it, it's depicted for us that Ananias, and later we'll find Sapphira as we already read it, they're filled, their hearts are filled by Satan. Do you ever read something like that and do you ever just wonder, filled with what? Do you ever ask those questions? It is very important. When you read Scripture, ask questions about like, okay, what does that mean? Ask some what, some why, some when, some how. It, it's okay to ask those questions because it's actually helping you better understand what's taking place in that moment. What did Satan fill Ananias and Sapphira's heart with? That's the question. What? Nobody broke it down for me. No scholar. Nobody wanted to talk about it. So I began asking the Lord. I said, Lord, what? So Paul, the Apostle Paul, he'd wrote up, write about this. He'd say, listen. He'd write certain things that we read now in Scripture, and you'll find it like in, in Corinthians, stuff like that. He goes, this is not God talking, but this is me. So I want to clarify, this is what I believe based upon studying their lives, studying Scripture, studying the book of Acts, this is what I would believe that they were filled with. I, I just felt like the Lord gave me this, and I felt like he kind of zoned in on this thought that I think is really the word for us tonight to unpack. One word, it's very potent. It's a very potent word. I believe that Satan filled their hearts with the root of all evil, the root where all sin starts, the root of all, pride. I really believe with my whole heart 
that their hearts became so filled with pride that they found themselves with an inability to follow the commands and the ways of Jesus. That they went contrary to the rest of the church, that they went off the beaten path, that they begin to now, the Bible says, lie to the Holy Spirit because they were so full of pride. Satan filled them with the root of all evil. See, Ananias and Sapphira, they were living in a lot of prideful thoughts. Don't worry. I'm going to get to us here in a second, and we're going to talk about us. Let's have some fun doing so. But we'll start with Ananias and Sapphira. We'll put them to the test first. What did he begin to fill them with? Maybe a thought like, the apostles really don't need all the money. Like, look at everyone is giving all of their money. Why would they need it? Like, the church is doing fine. Why would they need all of our money? Like, every, I look, no needy people, and everybody's getting taken care of, and everything looks good. They don't need mine. Even though I can clearly tell that I'm a part of a, a group of people where the standard is clearly to give everything you have, I think I'm okay. I, I think they're okay. And that is where it lies pride a lot of times, is it's not I think I'm okay, I think, I think they're okay. And what we do is we push it off to say, I don't really need to fully give like everything I have now because somebody else is doing it. There's this old story about a king that went to go show up to a village where everyone was supposed to bring their, their, their best cup of wine in these ancient times, and they were supposed to dump it into this huge vat, and everybody was supposed to dump it in. And the king was going to come and take the best of what everybody had to give and take his and dip it in and take a taste of what everyone brought to the table. This was like kind of a picture of the New Testament church, except when the king came to do it, and he dipped his cup in, and he drank it, do you know what existed in there? Water. Because everyone had the same idea. If I only bring water, I'll only dilute it a little bit. It won't matter that much because everybody else is going to bring their best. Ananias and Sapphira had this prideful thought, the church will be okay. Or maybe it was, you know what? We got plans for this money. We're only going to bring part. We're going to sell our land. We're going to then bring part of the money, and we're going to save some of it because we got plans. Maybe it was even like, what if this whole Jesus thing don't work out? What if like this whole Christianity thing, what if it's not as good as it's cracked up to be? I need to have a little like something set aside, a little retirement plan if this thing don't work out like everyone's saying it's supposed to. Yeah, I know. I've seen them do the miracles. I've seen it. Yeah, it's good. It's cool. Well, I want to have a little plan on the side. You know how many different people today in the church of Jesus Christ are making plans outside of his plan? Now, I don't think there's anything wrong being wise, preparing for retirement, things of that sort, but I don't do it to leave the ministry and the work of Jesus. I do it to, so that I can continue one day when I'm no longer getting a paycheck that I can continue to tithe. I can continue to sow seed and give. I can continue to help those in need and be a blessing. I do it to prepare now so that one day I can keep being a part of ministry later when I'm not able to do what I'm doing now. Maybe they had this thought like some of you have, this concept of like when the king's dipping in, maybe it's this thought that I'm going to bring what looks like a lot, even though I have a lot more to give, but I'm going to bring what appears to other people to be something really great. They won't know that it's not my best. I know it's not my best. 
everybody else is going to think, wow, look at Ananias and Sapphira. Wow. Look at what great Christians they are. Look at how they give and serve. And wow. Watch, the, man, look at the way they lift their hands. That is a full victory extension. I mean, when they aren't just going like the, the, the little cup. I mean, they're, they're going full on into victory for our Lord. I mean, look at them. Maybe it was that. Maybe like some of what was in their mind was this thought process, pride slowly chipping away at them. Man, we could be a part of this, look good in front of everybody, and still have our own thing on the side. And just to clarify, this is not what God has called anybody that's a part of the church of Jesus Christ to do, if that wasn't clear. Pride was welling up, just like pride wells up in each one of us. What I don't get, though, is I think anyone in the room that either you can think of someone, don't say it out loud, please, or you've been around somebody who is really prideful, like they come across really prideful, which I'd like to also tell you this, by the way, pub, people that act prideful in public are not very scary because they can be spoken to and dealt with. It's people that are living in private pride, hidden pride, that they look all innocent, but they're really the most prideful son of a gun on planet earth. And to everybody else, you wouldn't know it. But God does because he sees the lies from the heart. But any one of us that would picture somebody that's really prideful, let's say, immediately someone that's operating in pride, they're going to frustrate us a little bit. They're going to take us off a little bit. We're like, a little bit annoyed. Oh, I hate when that person acts like that. When they're doing this, when they're saying this, it's like, oh, it's hard, to, it's hard to deal with them. Yet what I don't get is we will tolerate our own pride in ourselves. We can picture anyone that's prideful and be like, oh, they're the worst human being on planet Earth. And then we don't analyze our own pride, look in the mirror and be like, whoa. Uh, we will tolerate ourselves, but we want to execute everyone else. We want to have just like the worst attitude with everybody else, but we're like, oh, but mine isn't that bad. See, we all experience thoughts of pride, every single one of us, all the time. Can we get honest? Like we really do. We look in the mirror. You look good today, baby. Okay, you might not do that exactly, but you do it. Come on, 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 me. Like, come on, you do it. It's, oh man, my hair is just on point today. This outfit. See, what I've learned is wear black, black, and you'll always look slim in black. So I just like, man, I look so skinny today. I'm wearing black again, good. Black on black on black, let's go. So my, my, my point is it might just not be like, oh, I, I, I look so good. It could, it could be something inside of you. This is me, the competitive spirit. I have to be the best. I don't ever come to lose. You're on my team. We're playing ultimate Frisbee. You better be prepared to win because all we do is win, win, win. If you can finish that, you can come to the altar and repent at the end of this. Okay? I got to be the best. There is nothing I do where I aim to be second best. I have 
to be the best. And I think I've always shielded it and called it competitiveness rather than calling it what it really is. It's pride. I do not like to lose. I am not a good loser. I'm very sore at it. Very sore. Some of y'all, you have to be the most liked and most loved one in the room. Nobody else can be liked. Nobody else can be loved. Why, why can't somebody else get a little bit of time and attention? Why can't somebody else get a, get a hello and get a little like, extra love and, and a moment with somebody? Like, if you don't get the most attention and if you are not the most liked and loved one in the room, it just really, really roughs up your feathers. It really does because you are struggling with pride. If you don't get that job, if you don't get that position, if you don't get on that team, it's not just like, oh, man, I gave my best. Well, I'm going to give my best next time. It's like, I think we always be like, oh, well, I just struggle with comparison. No, comparison is pride. And if you start going, well, that person, they should have never made the team. I totally should have gotten that. Pride. That's what it is. And we have to begin to look in this mirror with ourselves to really recognize what we're dealing with because we call it all of these other things and it really just all comes down to the very simplest thing. It's pride. We are struggling just like Ananias and Sapphira with pride. It has to be done my way. There's not another way, just so you know. There's not another way. My way is the only way. This is something I've been having conversations with, even with the team. Because many times I'll come across a way where I'll say, let's do it this way. And then everyone's like, and I'll be like, no, no, no. I was trying to bring a solution to it. I'm actually coming now to realize it's only taken me 35 years of my life. There are other ways to do things than my way. Now, because I want to be the best at everything, I do think some of my ideas and ways of doing things are the best. And can I tell you, some of them are. But the point in which you think all of them are, you have now tiptoed into the wrong lane. You're about to get hit by a car. If these types of things are coming out of your mouth, I think we all need to, if you're taking notes, let's write down a question here. Let's ask ourselves this question. Do I have the same heart as Ananias and Sapphira? Do I have the same heart as Ananias and Sapphira. Do you know why Ananias and Sapphira allowed pride to manifest in their lives to the degree that it did? Do you know why it finally got so bad? This is going to help somebody tonight, I believe, at least one person. It's because they spent all of their time trying to be seen as someone they weren't rather than spending their time actually becoming that person. They chose to spend all of their time with the appearance of what it looked like to be generous rather than just actually being generous. They put all their effort and their energy into perception rather than their actual purpose given by God. They wanted to be perceived as leaders, perceived as pace setters, as front runners, as we're helping the church go forward. Look at how much we're giving. Look at how we're doing things. And everything they did was a look at how, look at how, look at me, look at me, watch me, watch me. 
Everything as they were doing, it was not, I love you, Lord. Here's my best, Lord. It's all for you, Lord. It was, hey, is everybody watching me as I do this? As, as, I, as I put it, as the offering bucket comes around. And everything they were doing was from a point of view to be seen as someone they weren't when they had all the opportunity to actually become that person. They spent their efforts deceiving rather than just doing. Trying to deceive people into believing they were generous rather than just doing it and being generous. You tracking me? Am I, the, am I the only heart in the room that hurts? There's anybody with me on any level with this. Don't worry. If you tell me you're not, it's because you're prideful. I got you tonight either way. You ain't going nowhere. I got you. But you know why? Because the Lord has got me tonight. I'm not selling you out. I'm in the boat with you. And we ride it. And it's a rocky, rocky moment. We're about to ask Jesus to wake up and say, peace, be still. Because see, just like Ananias and Sapphira, I see this in the modern day church. I see this with many people that even walk through these doors. I'm not even trying to pinpoint anybody in this room. Or uh, I've just done this long enough now. I've seen enough people come and go. And I've found that what a lot of people are trying to do in Christianity is live for the status of Christianity rather than the sacrifice of Christianity. And they want to look the part and have the status of what it looks like to be a Christian. To use the cross emoji in your bio on Instagram. To even talk about the church and, and these things that can look so good and have the status, but they're not fully willing to sacrifice and dive into what that looks like to be a Christian. They're willing to go, but they're not willing to give. Anyway, yeah, I'll go to church. Sunday mornings, this is the same case. This ain't, just, this ain't just young people. This is all people. Yeah, I'll go. But then the moment of giving comes around. We're talking about we love to give to the Lord. We believe in blessing people. We wanted to raise a quarter of a million dollars this year so we could just give it away and be a blessing through our territory offering. And we wanted to be able to just touch the whole world through Gateway Global and through We're One Worldwide. And we want to do it. And people are like, Psh. I said I would go. So it means they want to be in the room and they want to have the status to say they were at Gateway, but you ain't actually at Gateway unless you were part of the giving. Let's talk about the serving. Oh, I'll sit, but I ain't here to serve. They'll sit in the row, but outside of that, they ain't, they ain't looking to grow past that. We talked about it tonight in our connections. It's like, hey, listen, we believe that in the room there are so many gifts and so many people that... God can use for his glory. Would you help us serve? What are we saying? You got something special inside of you, a purpose that we want to unlock. Let's serve and use it for his glory. You're like, well, I'll, I'll sit, but I'm here to serve. I, I was just willing to come. I thought that was enough. And it's because people are seeking to have the status of what it looks like to be a part of the family of we are one. But listen, you ain't we are one unless you're willing to grind, get dirty, and sacrifice with me. Unless you're willing to bleed we are one with me, you ain't we are one. You willing to get your hands dirty with us? But you ain't willing. Yeah, you can sit and you can keep coming. And I will never ask you to leave just because you don't want to serve or something. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying you ain't truly a part of this. 
if you're just looking for the status of it, but there's no sacrifice. Oh, I just want community. Community. Yeah, you see, you want community, but you don't want the accountability that comes with community. Oh, I just want some friends. Yeah, you want. You want some acquaintances that you can, you can pretend and give some sort of story of who you are rather than showing who you actually are and what you're actually going through and being transparent with people to say, here I am, you can see through me, and I'm going to allow you to speak into me. And so people want community but not accountability. You can't have community without unity, and you will never achieve unity if there's not accountability, because finally, it's at some point, you're like, you're doing that wrong, bro. If you keep doing that, we ain't going to stay unified. And unity starts with you. And if you don't get to a point where, where you're saying, you know what, okay, I recognize when I sign up to be a part of the fam, I sign up all in. That's, I'm a part of the community, which means now I have to sign up for accountability. And that means I'm going to let people speak into my life. That means I'm going to let hard conversation, hard truths transpire because I actually want to grow and become the person that God wants me to be. But the reason that most people don't get to that point and the reason that we're not booming in this ministry at this point is not thousands. It's because very few people want the sacrifice. And they only stay for a little while because they only came to have the status. But you only stay if you're willing to bring the sacrifice. Every single one of us struggle with pride. And when we do, the reason we want to have the Holy Spirit, when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. One of the things the Holy Spirit does is convict your life. He begins to come and it's like, ooh, it's like a stirring. It's kind of like a, a little knot in your gut. And the Holy Spirit begins to convict your life. That is how you make sure that there's something that comes into your path, such as pride, that it doesn't take you to the place of Ananias and Sapphira. But here's what you have to understand. Let's ask the question. Don't you think the Holy Spirit convicted Ananias and Sapphira? So don't you think there's a loophole to all this? You recognize that you can get out of the Holy Spirit's conviction, correct? That the Holy Spirit can convict you, and you can be like, oh, that's nasty. Well, it's not really that. I'll push it aside. And what happens is then the pride grows, and then it grows, and it grows. And it becomes this monster that's so extreme it can bypass the Holy Spirit's conviction. And then you don't need it anymore. You don't need the Holy Spirit, you tell yourself. Like, I got this figured out. It's not that bad. And then it leads you to the point of death. Like, this is the real conversation, isn't it? Let's go back to the whole community accountability thing. This is why it's so important to have people around you that will actually say something. Here's what I found in my own life throughout many years of my life and even now in these years. It's not like I've arrived I'm 35 years old. I'm like old, not old. It's like Sid looked at my hair the other day, and she's like, Dave, you're going to be completely gray by next year if you don't figure this out. I'm like, I have two toddlers. I'm a youth pastor for a living. I've given my life to youth, and I'm married to you. What do you expect with my hair? No, I didn't actually say that. It just came to me right now. I love you. This is why it's important to have people around you 
Because even though like I, I, I've matured and I, I'm wiser than I used to be in my 20s, I've not arrived. And so there are things in my life that I can't even see. I don't even know sometimes when I have pride until the right person tells me. Now, what I'm not saying is let's just shoot from the hip and walk around and be like, pride, pride. Oh, I saw you, pride. You know, it's like, that's why we draw these circles around each other and we come into that community together and we invite true accountability so that when somebody sees it, they'll say it. The problem a lot of times is many see it, but very few are willing to say what needs to be said. Do you want to know why this is so important? Because if you look at Ananias and Sapphira, if you look at how their life was set up even with the accountability with one another, let's speak into that. What accountability did they have, husband and wife? Here's why you want to make sure it's more than even just husband and wife. I'll tell you this one day. Women of God, you want to have women of God around you. Men of God, you want to have men of God around you. It's not that a woman of God can't see something in my life like Rhonda or my mom or people like people. They can see things in my life. I'm not saying that. But the reason you want to set up that is because look at this. Look at the accountability of Ananias and Sapphira. Verse 2. He brings part of the money, not all of it, and then it says that with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest of it and put it at the apostles' feet. His accountability partner is his wife. She knows what he's doing. It says with her, his husband's uh, sorry, with his wife's full knowledge. She knows and she says nothing. This word knowledge is very interesting to me because in verse 2, it indicates that Sapphira had full knowledge of the plans of sin that Ananias wanted to commit. But then after Ananias died, it says in verse 7, about three hours later, his wife came in. Now look at these two words. Not knowing what had happened. So look at verse 2, she had full knowledge. Verse 7, she doesn't know what just happened. What does that show me? It showed me that she had full knowledge of their plans of sin, but she didn't have any knowledge of God's plan to deal with it. Accountability partners, they're willing to get in the trenches with you. Leadership, pastors, people in your life, and they are more aware of what God thinks than your plan. Your plan actually doesn't matter. Them having full knowledge of your sin doesn't actually matter. Some of you, listen, I don't even come to you personally and tell you what's going on in your life, but as I preach, it convicts the junk out of you because the Holy Spirit is getting a hold of your heart. And next thing you know, people are coming, I don't even know how you knew that about me. I didn't have full knowledge of your plan. The Holy Spirit did. See, I have full knowledge of the Holy Spirit's plans for you. I believe in the Holy Spirit's purpose for your life. I believe in what God has destined you for. I believe in that so much that I'm willing to preach his word and not waver in it. We're willing to have hard conversations. We're willing to be there in moments because we are less concerned about having full knowledge of your plan and so much more concerned about having knowledge of God's plan. Don't keep people around you that will just tell you what you want to hear. Don't just keep people around you that will see it in your life, but they'll turn a blind eye to it because, oh, I don't like confrontation. That's not a good accountability partner. You need to get somebody that has some cojones and wants to get up in your business and says, you know what? I don't like what I see right now. They might not even yell. I had some conversations uh, recently 
where I had some of all my accountability come to me, and they wanted to talk to me about some things, and I was talking about them, and we were sharing some things, and we're all growing, and we, we do that all the time, right? And it was kind of like, I didn't really want to talk to you about it. That's normal. I didn't want to have to bring it up. It's a little hard conversation to have, but I'm going to have the conversation because I believe in you too much to let you go down an Ananias and Sapphira path. You are not doing yourself any favors by keeping people around you that will never say anything to you. I don't know. Make them like your, your we are one pickleball partner or something. But they don't need to be your accountability partner. You're doing yourself no favors. To some of you in the room, you're not doing anybody else any favors because you're just a chump. You're such a chicken. You see what's happening in people's lives and you won't say anything about it. How are you benefiting their soul? You have literally just signed their release waiver to hell. You've just signed off. Yes, it, if that's where they end up, that's where they end up. And you could have said something and you said nothing. You are doing them no favors. Keep people around you that what they see, they will say something about. I think our ministry would get so much stronger if I came to preach things and y'all's spirits were already, already rattled from one another. Oh man, he's preaching about what somebody just called me out on. And just so you know, don't tell me things. People don't tell me things. I'm the last person to know things. I like that. Because when I come up here and preach, it's the Holy Spirit just jumping on your back and wrestling you to the ground. It's not because somebody told me something. I like not knowing it. Because then at times I'll have conversations with you and I'll start speaking into your life and somebody will be like, what the heck? Who told you? The Holy Spirit told me. Why was Ananias and Sapphira's pride such a big deal? Because some of you have pride in this moment because you're even like, what's the big deal? They didn't give all the money? That shows me how much pride you have that you can't even see God's plan. So what's, what is the big deal? It's going to take me a little bit of time, but I want to answer this to, to kind of end. And when a preacher says, I'm closing, that means like I got like a half an hour more. But why was Ananias and Sapphira's pride such a big deal to the church? Remember Acts chapter 3? There's the blind beggar. Peter and John come up, silver and gold I do not have. The dude gets healed. People are pumped. Ripple effect by Acts chapter 4. 5,000 people now are a part of the church of Jesus Christ. And it, this is how it describes them in verse 32 to 33. It says that all of the believers were one in heart and mind. 5,000 people are one in heart and mind. That's insane. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. Okay, now I'm going to come back to that. I'm like, we ended at 33. I'm going to come back to verse 33, chapter 4. Let me jump to chapter 5. I want you to catch this, though. It says in chapter 5, verse 1, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, look at this word, also, also sold a piece of property. Do you know also indicates? They were already doing it before this point. Ananias and Sapphira didn't come up with like some new way to serve the Lord. 
they knew to hold something back because so many people were given everything they had. How do I know? Verse 33. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in all of them that there were no needy persons among them. How did we get rid of all the needy people, I wonder? For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. They brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. That's how you get rid of the needy people. You raise quarter of a million dollars through territory often and say, we're going to help as many people as we possibly can. And we're even going to look for the needs in our church. We're going to take care of widows. We're going to make sure that people that are less fortunate, we're going to take care of them. They were doing this to another level at this point. And then it singles out this dude, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Now Barnabas, he sold a field he owned, and he brought the money, and he put it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas, this is the same one that is described, uh, I preached about him in volume 4, Acts chapter 13. At Antioch, Paul and Barnabas were a part of that church, and they launched on the first missionary journey. That's this dude, same Barnabas. So this guy gives everything that he has, and I want you to take notice of how they did it. Barnabas, it describes other people in Acts 4, that they would sell their land, their home, their possessions. They'd bring it to the apostles, but look how they did it. Ananias did the same thing because he was following the example of everybody else. Back to now chapter 5, verse 2. Ananias brought the rest. And what does, he, what does he do? He put it at the apostles' feet. In Acts 4 and 5, they would bring all of their money and they would place it at the feet of the apostles. Barnabas did it. Other people in the church did it. Ananias did it. Sapphira was a part of it, his wife. But I want you to look at the contrast here between Barnabas' life and Ananias and Sapphira. Barnabas, blessed, traveled with Paul, preached the gospel, saw people healed, lived for Jesus to the end, was a part of building the church. Great life for the Lord. Ananias and Sapphira. Let's just look at Sapphira. Break down Sapphira. Let me, let me set this up before I read verse 9. Verse 8, I want to paint this picture for you. Ananias has brought the money, laid it at Peter's feet. Sapphira walks in three hours later. Peter goes, okay. So you don't know this. He doesn't actually say this out loud. I'm just painting the picture. But you're about to die right now if you lie to me. Your hubby just died. He lied to the Holy Spirit. If you lie to me, so, just so you know, your heart's already been lying to the Holy Spirit. Sapphira, you're about to die. So we're going to slow this down. This is verse 8. The money that your husband gave, was that all of the money? I mean, he like slows it down for this girl. Was that all of it? I'm like, he said, I'm giving you a chance here not to die. I'm trying to help a sister out right now because you're about to die, girl. Verse 9. Peter said to her, because she goes, yeah, that's all the money. How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? He goes, listen. The feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door. And they will carry you out also. He's like, girl, girl, I tried to help you. 
At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband in great fear. This is the fear of the Lord, reverence for God. It seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. So I'm confused here. What's the difference? Barnabas placed his money at the feet of the apostles. Ananias placed his money at the feet of the apostles. We know the answer to this already. He held some back, but let's really break it down here. Barnabas placed everything that he had. He gave everything that he had. But verse 2, it says that Ananias and Sapphira kept back part of it. How many of your pride is keeping back part of what belongs to Jesus? Like, you know that you can give more to the Lord. You know that you could catch fire and you could win people in your school. You know that you could serve. You know that you have talents that could be used for God's glory. You know that you're keeping back what belongs to God. You know it. And because you know it, it's now called pride. See, if you don't know it until someone reveals it to you, it's not disobedience. But once you know it and then you choose not to follow through and live by that pride, it's disobedience, and that is the definition of sin. You know that you have a life that can be used for God's glory, but you've kept it back. How many of you just analyzing that tonight? Your pride has kept back part of what belongs to Jesus. See, it defines here that all of them, they placed at the feet of the apostles, their money. This is really representing what? It, it, keep, it keeps saying it every time. It says that, that certain people, then it says Barnabas, then it says Ananias, they placed at the feet of the apostles. What were they really doing? They were placing it at the feet of Jesus. They were placing their best at the feet of Jesus. I need you to know what Jesus is asking for from you. He's asking for all that you have and all that you are, nothing less. He's asking for you to place at his feet all that you have and all that you are. He's not asking for anything less. And he's not asking for anything more. The difference, if you look at, at like a character study and if you contrast between Ananias and Sapphira and Barnabas and the blessed life that they had, very simply, the difference is Barnabas placed everything that he had. He laid it at the feet of the apostles because he knew he was laying it at the feet of Jesus. Ananias and Sapphira kept part of it. Do you know why this is important to realize? Because Paul wrote later in Romans chapter 12, after he had gone and he administered, he finally writes a letter to the Romans. And in chapter 12, he teaches them. He goes, I want you to offer yourselves as living sacrifices. What is he saying? Your life placed at the feet of Jesus. Take this in, though. Paul wrote, I want you to offer yourself, chapter 12, Romans, as living sacrifices. Not Ananias and Sapphira disobedient dead ones. What does it say? It says, and she died and she fell at his feet. The Lord is looking for us to place ourselves fully alive, living sacrifices, not for the status, for the sacrifice, at the feet of Jesus. He's looking for us to give all that we have, all that we are, 
to him. Jesus, the brother of uh, James, the brother of Jesus, he later, Acts 15 tells us that he became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He was there because it says the apostles are there. So it's highlighting Peter, but James is there as well. And I started thinking about this as he had watched what just happened with Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias walks in, here's all the money. He's like, you lied against the Holy Spirit, drop dead. And uh, Sapphira walks in, Peter's like, are you sure this is all the money? She drops dead. I imagine James was sitting there. He might have just taken a little note. I'm going to write this for later. Because when he wrote his letter, the book of James that we read in the New Testament, he essentially breaks down exactly what transpired in this moment. He says in James 1, verse 14 to 15, he says, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. What was their evil desire? They wanted to keep back some of the money. That was the initial desire. Let's keep back some of the money. He then continues, then after desire has conceived it, it gives birth to sin. What was the sin? They went, stood before Peter, and they lied to the Holy Spirit. That was the sin. What does James end with? He watched it happen before his very eyes. Desire, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. One by one, Ananias and Sapphira dropped like flies. You know, I think this whole idea of pride and the depth and the ungodly desire that it can bring that can lead to death, case in point, Ananias and Sapphira, we need to learn from it. Do you know why you need to learn from it? Because if you don't die to yourself, then you will die from yourself. What do I mean? If you don't die to yourself, then you will die because and from your desires. You will die from your lust. You will die from your greed. You will die from desires that become your sin, that become your death. If you don't die to yourself, you will die from yourself. It will be at your hand. It will be at your hand. It won't be because uh, of, of anybody else. Well, my, my, my friends talked me into doing it. No, you decided to be there. You decided to take part in it. You decided to say the same things they were saying. You decided to smoke what they were smoking. You decided, Whatever it is, like, some of you, very simply, you decided to half-heartedly lean into this message tonight, which tells me this very simply. You have a 50% chance walking out of here living out what I've said. Now, those that lean in 100%, you have a 100% chance now to take it and apply it. Whether or not you walk it out, I can't guarantee it. But at the very least, taking it in with your heart and soul, saying, Lord, as we prayed in the beginning, I'm open to you. Speak to me. You know, David said this, search me, O God. See if there's any offensive, anxious, any way in me that does not follow you. So sorry, I went on a rabbit trail. Let's answer the question. Why was it a big deal? Why was it a big deal that the actions of Ananias and Sapphira, their pride and their selfishness, why was it a big deal? Because they opened a door for the devil to come in and touch the unity of the church. It was no small feat that 5,000 people were unified. That's not, that's not, that's huge. 5,000 people, one heart, one mind, Acts 4 says. 5,000 people willing to give generously in all that they had. And then it took two people to open the door for the enemy and to allow him in to bring disunity. If you call yourself a part of the church, what you do affects the church, just so you understand this. What you do affects the body of Christ. 
you either give life or death to God's church. You're part of it. If you're a part of it, that means that you can either be like an Ananias and Sapphira or you can be like a Barnabas. You are either going to lie and cheat and steal and fake it and pretend and deceive, be all about the status, or you're going to be sacrificial and you're going to be all in saying, you know, I'm we're one fam. I'm gateway fam. I'm Jesus fam. This is the way. We are called Christians now at Antioch for the first time. It's like, I'm in this thing. Book of Acts, all in, dangerous living. Let's go. It's that or it's not, just so you know. You're like, well, man, I came like every Wednesday. I can tell you there's a lot of people that came every Wednesday and they're going to be in hell. Straight up. I don't care if you came every Wednesday. And I care that you're here, but in terms of your eternal salvation, that doesn't impress me. If you're a believer in Jesus, this is just already what's expected of us. It's not impressive. You get to be here every Wednesday. You get to not come to the most unorganized and lame thing every Wednesday. You get to come here where people have, they put blood, sweat, and tears to put this on for you. They have worked diligently to make this a place where you can encounter Jesus. I'm not even talking about me. I'm talking about all the teams. I'm talking about leaders, interns, pastors. I'm talking about staffing. I'm talking about college students. They work tirelessly to make this a place where you can come and encounter God. It's not impressive to me that you decided to be here. It's expected that we decide to be here. But for me, I, I don't look at expectation as this dirty word. I look at it as, okay, that's the bare minimum. What else do I get to give to God now? If that's already what's expected of me, how much more do I get to give him? I just think like this whole idea of leaning in that our pride doesn't just affect us. It affects the rest of the body of Christ. Peter was tasked with this hard job. He had the responsibility that when they came forward, the Holy Spirit came upon him to judge them, to judge Ananias and judge Sapphira unto death. Why? Why would they deal with this so severely? Because this type of pride and unconfessed sin, it has to be exposed and cut out in the church. And do you know why so many churches are not thriving today and they're walking around and they're limping? So many powerless churches on the face of the planet Earth. Like so many churches that could be alive in Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, doing a good work of God. Churches that are barely staying open. Churches that aren't thriving, they're just surviving. Do you know why? Many of them, I believe, is because they won't deal with the pride of Ananias and Sapphira that is in the pews. There's so much pride in the pews. I just wish that we'd be willing enough and honest enough to say it. I've really just even kind of searched my soul like, man, Lord, I just got areas and issues in my life that I just need your help with. So if you think that I'm up here and I'm leading you because I am not prideful and I don't struggle with this ever and I have this all together, I would just like to tell you the opposite so you won't think so highly of me so that when I screw up, you can be like, hey, we love Pastor Dave. He's just human. He ain't Jesus. I'm okay if you lower me a little bit. I'm okay if you don't think I'm the greatest thing since, since sliced bread or something. I'm, I'm okay with that because I am human, and I struggle just like you, and I'm just trying to serve Jesus to the best of my ability just like you. But here's what I believe. I really believe that if we would look in the mirror and we'd come before the Lord tonight, I'm going to give you just three things to end. It's kind of like a different kind of ending. Usually I try to like build us to a point of like, let's close this thing, but I'm just going to give them to you, and then we're going to respond. Very simple. 
three things. What do you do with this? You're like, okay, sheesh. Yeah, I'm struggling with pride for sure. What do I do now? Like, what are, like what's some practical things? I want to give you three practical things that you can do starting even tonight to help the church of Jesus Christ be strong. It ain't all, just all about you. It's that if you ain't set straight before the Lord, how are we set straight before the Lord? You ready? If you're taking notes, just three things. They're not going to be on the screen, and they're long, so you can paraphrase and write them however you want. Just let the Holy Spirit speak to you. If you wonder if you're struggling with pride, you want to get a hold of it, what do you do? Number one, you got to check it at the cross. Check your pride at the cross. What am I saying? I said Jesus wants all of us. I didn't say the best of us. But don't you be in all sloppy and giving him all of your crap, but you're not willing to sacrifice and give him your good stuff too. Because a lot of people abuse grace and do that as well. Oh, forgive me, Jesus, here it is. And then you don't give him your talents and you don't give him your time and you don't give him your, your finances and you don't give him your life. Check it at the cross. Repentance is the, the one word for what I mean. Repent before the Lord. We're going to do that tonight. And we're going to lay ourselves down at the feet of Jesus. Number one. Number two, start acting as the person that God has called you to be rather than pretending to be what you want everyone to see. I didn't mean to be so Dr. Seuss on that. I'll read it one more time for you. Start acting like the person that God has called you to be rather than pretending to be what you want everyone else to see. Quit putting so much energy into deceiving and just start doing. Quit working so hard to pretend and then just start playing the part as a follower of Jesus. It's like you feel like you need to pretend and be like, oh, yeah, so my prayer time with God this week and I felt like he gave me revelation. No, he didn't. You didn't even pray this week. Quit talking like it. It'd be better in accountability in the community to say, guys, I'm struggling so much, I don't even remember the last time I prayed. At least that's honest and God can work with that. Then you can be truly honest before the Lord and before people when you can say, man, God's teaching me so much in my prayer time. And then people are like gaining and they're growing because of it. And the anointing is on you and God is using you. Quit pretending. Number three. This one's simple, but I'm, I'm going to read it to you exactly how I wrote it. Surround yourself with people that will tell you what Jesus thinks. What do I mean? I'll say it one more time and I'll break it down. Surround yourself with people that will tell you what Jesus thinks. What do I mean by this? It's very specific. Not just, I didn't just say people that would call you out. I didn't just say people that would be in your business that will tell you what Jesus thinks. You can't tell somebody what Jesus thinks unless you truly have spent time with him. And you love that person so much and you love Jesus so much and you believe in their purpose and what God has for them so much that you've gone to God about them 
and you've sought the face of the Lord, and you don't just flippantly speak and be like, oh, I think God might want this. No, it's like, man, I've wrestled with this with the Holy Spirit, and I've come to God, and I've been sick in the stomach, and I feel now convicted if I don't say something because I've waited on it. And I'm like, God, now if I wait any longer, I feel like I'm being disobedient. I'm going to sin, and I've wrestled, and I finally now come, and I say, I just really believe that this is what God thinks about this. You see the difference. It's not flippant. It's precise. It's spirit-led. It's patient, but it's also progressive in going after it and saying, I'm not just going to let sin go because I ain't let my friend go to hell. I ain't let my family member go to hell. I'm not letting my coworker go to hell. I'm not letting the person in the pew go to hell. Hmm. Stand with me. Are we ready to respond? I felt like the Lord just said, hey, this message is going to be different. Don't try to make it like other ones. It's going to be different. By next week, it's going to probably be some sort of crazy healing story or, I don't know, prison break or something nuts. Because the book of Acts is nuts, but I, I really feel like we can't live out the purpose that God has called us to if we can't even deal with the pride that's inside of our heart right now. And so, um, I'm going to pray like a salvation prayer, but I'm not going to have you repeat after me. I'm just going to literally pray. And the Bible says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that he raised from the dead. And that's you. If you have never given your life to Jesus, then as I pray, literally just pray. But for everybody else, really simply, the team is just going to begin to lead us in worship here in a little bit. You can just come and face plant before the Lord. Maybe some of you just need to go and you want to begin to worship. Maybe some of you got to go. And right now, you're going to grab a couple people and surround and say, listen. I'm adding you right now. Would you start looking over my life? Would you start being a part of this? Or I don't know, choose one of those th three things, but we're just going to respond and we're going to ask the Lord to just kind of work in what he's saying beyond even what I've said. Maybe some of you are wrestling with things even in, in this moment right now. It, let me just help somebody in the room. If you're going, I don't know, was this message for me? Am I prideful? <laughs> yes. But see, some of us, it's so silent and it seems so subtle and that is the scariest of all pride. So we need to wrestle with the Holy Spirit just for a little bit. Just wrestle with Him. Okay? So as I begin to pray, you can just come. Holy Spirit, I just invite you, not only in this place, but Lord, anyone that would hear this message after this, that God, we have come here tonight to identify with the fact that our hearts are filled with pride, but that doesn't mean that our end has to be the same as Ananias and Sapphira. And so we right now, we start by just confessing our sin. We check it at the cross. We repent before you tonight. We acknowledge in all of our ways that, God, we have been wrong and that we have, we've said things wrong, we've looked at things wrong, we've gone about things wrong, that we, we have allowed pride to just kind of well up inside of us, but we empty our heart before you tonight, which means all the pride, that's empty as well. It's like a cup. We just, we pour it all out tonight. We give it all to you. We get rid of all of it, and we just acknowledge tonight that, Lord, we want to have our, our path set straight before you, God, to go from here, that when our parents speak things, we're going to honor it. 
when other authority teachers or pastors or leaders, they speak things, we're going to honor it. God, when there's maybe even dreams or things inside of us that we, at times, we could feel are misunderstood or, or, or we feel like sometimes somebody is thinking here tonight, maybe nobody gets me and they don't understand. And then it becomes this, this journey where you're going to do everything on your own and pride starts welling up. You don't need anybody. You're just going to do what you want to do. We just cast those things off and aside right now. We give them to you, Jesus. We check it at the cross tonight. Lord, I also just ask that you'd begin to just overwhelmingly begin to point people, Lord, to next steps that they need to make, people they need to get in contact with, God, steps that they need to take individually, things they need to just maybe even speak specifically to you. I ask that you'd begin to speak into every heart, every soul tonight. I thank you for this. I thank you that, Lord, you died and you rose again for every single person here, that if they would confess you as Lord, then very simply, you will be their Lord. But I ask that, Lord, you'd be Lord, Savior, friend, King of kings. We ask that you'd come in every fashion. Holy Spirit, we invite you here tonight to come in every single fashion that you could possibly begin to move in our hearts. But Lord, we're not here to just ask you to move. We have stepped out of our seats and we have moved because we want to move your heart tonight, God. We want to begin to tell you tonight that we're serious about walking with you. And we, are, we know that we're called to a dangerous life. We know that we have a dangerous journey ahead of us. We know we have a dangerous calling upon our lives. I ask that you even begin to release that calling. That some people, they're not grabbing a hold of the plan that God has for them because they've already cooked up the plan that they think they have for them. And so we, right now, God, we empty ourselves. We let go of what we think things are and how we plan for things to be and how we've orchestrated it all to be. And we just empty ourselves tonight and say, Lord, call us to where you want us to go. Use us how you want to use us. Teach us tonight, Holy Spirit. We ask that tonight the dangerous purpose that you have in store for us would be released right now upon our lives. Fill us up like David said, our cup overflowing. We empty of ourselves and we say, now, Holy Spirit, come fill us up. We say this in the name of Jesus. Amen.